0: edition of the Boilers Extra podcast uh, getting set to uh, come at you uh, late in June recording this on a a Friday June the 26th as we move quickly through the summer. The spring uh, was a slow uh, process because of the pandemic and everyone being at home and nothing to do. Uh, Those uh, few months went by extremely slow uh, but the pace has picked up uh, here uh, in the summer a little bit. Just a few more activities, people getting out and about a little bit, maybe more than what they should, especially in some states such as Florida, Texas, and California and Arizona. Uh, maybe they reopened a little bit too quickly, and now we uh, we see a rise in cases. But that's it's for a different podcast and probably one I uh, probably a discussion I should avoid. But it does have a direct effect on uh, college athletics, and we'll see uh, what happens uh, with that as we move uh, a little bit closer to two months before the first games are supposed to to kick off, coming up uh, next week as we get into into July. But speaking of positive uh, uh, cases with uh, the COVID-19, Purdue did announce it had its first positive test uh, on Thursday, Uh, so some transparency from, from Purdue. Uh, still waiting to hear back as of today uh, how many uh, athletes, how many coaches, how many athletic department personnel have been tested up to this point and still have not uh, received that number uh, as of uh, late uh, Friday uh, afternoon. And also, does Purdue plan to continue to release positive uh, results Uh, uh, without identifying who the individual uh, is, uh, which no school does, and no school should do that. Um, So just trying to figure out the frequency of of what Purdue uh, might do in that situation. Some schools uh, are are doing it once a week, uh, just announcing the number of tests, and if there are any positive tests, some schools are not doing it at all. Um, I didn't know if Purdue would do it, uh, I thought they might have been leaning that way earlier in the week after a couple conversations. And then uh, once they, they did determine they had a positive test, they did release it. Uh, and I think Purdue now is roughly around 40 schools that have, uh, that have come out and said, or at least that we know about, uh, 40 schools in the FBS uh, division that have at least one positive test test. Uh, in the athletic department. And it, it doesn't necessarily mean it's an athlete or a coach. We, you know, we don't know. and They're not going to identify that. Uh, so you can speculate all you want, uh, but Purdue's not going to tell you. And uh, as far as I know, only one athlete has come forward across the country and said that uh, he tested positive for COVID-19, and I think that was in a football player from Oklahoma State. But beyond that, nobody has – I don't believe anybody has come forward and said yes. Uh, you know, I, I I tested positive. Now there's been some, you know, Patrick Ewing, the Georgetown coach, announced that he had uh, he was hospitalized for a little bit, and there's been some other uh, people in college athletics that have uh, come out and and said it, but uh, the, those are those are less than a handful, uh, I believe. But you know, what does one positive test mean? Um, uh, not a, not a whole lot, uh, because if you're going to let one positive test change the direction of what you're doing, then why even come back and do it? Uh, so this is just part of the process. And this is just part of what is going to happen. And it's already happening across the country. Uh, there's there's a few programs that have, that have uh, put pause on their voluntary workouts because they've had numerous positive tests. Uh, the ones that come to mind, Kansas State has stopped football workouts. I think they had six or so positive tests. Uh, Houston has suspended its workouts uh, across the athletic department. Um, Grand Canyon's men's basketball team is being quarantined because they had several positive tests. Uh, so, and Boise State is another one. Boise State football was another one that has uh, that has uh, put the halt on uh, on voluntary workouts uh, for for right now and most of those programs and those athletes and the people involved. Are probably going to be quarantined from ten to fourteen days, depending on their state regulations and and what they need to do, and whether they're showing symptoms and all that. But you know, in Purdue's case, it's one it's one positive test, and they haven't gotten through the whole uh, fall athletic teams yet. You got volleyball coming back next week, and then uh, soccer in early July, and then coming back later. Uh, In the summer, in August, will be all the other athletes. So you're going to have a total of five, you know, over 500 athletes uh, that are going to get tested, along with their coaches, along with uh, athletic department personnel and people that work with those programs. So if Purdue ends up having one positive test, when it's all, you know, when we get through the first part of all this, that's that's probably good news. But uh, what does it mean for the future, though? Um, what if you get more positive tests? How many, you know, there's no magic number. There's just not. Um, and it has to be, um, you know, those schools that have sh- shut down things have just, they've determined that the number of positive tests that they have is too many. So they're going to shut it down. And president Daniels said as much in front of the U S Senate committee, uh, hearing uh, a few weeks ago that if they did have an outbreak without defining what the outbreak is, that they would shut down. Purdue would shut down that sport. But, you know, we don't know what that number is. Uh, We don't know uh, where that line is. Uh, And it's going to be up to each school uh, to determine that. But the more positive tests we have, does that mean that college football and college sports won't get going in the fall? Not necessarily. Uh, I think, um, you know, when you listen to the scientists and the medical people, they're more focused on, Yes, they're focused on the, the positive tests, but they're also focused on the hospitalization rates and how many ICU beds are being taken up and you know where you know where where people, you know, how sick are people? And I think that's probably a key to look at. But if you haven't figured it out by now, you know, college sports and people that run college sports are pretty determined to get a season going, especially when you when it comes to football. Uh, I think they are as determined as they've ever been. And there, there are a lot of financial, um, financial situations at, at stake here. Uh, you've got people with jobs throughout the athletic department. You've got a lot of money uh, coming in uh, from TV rights uh, and ticket sales. Um, and, and you're just trying to keep people employed. You're trying to keep the economy going. Uh, local economy going as much as you can, uh, but some of this is going to be, you know, unavoidable because you're not going to get the same revenue. You know, Purdue has already said that it had to revise its athletic budget for uh, the next fiscal year and had to take out ten million dollars. I think Indiana announced today, or there was a story today about Indiana. I think their shortfall is, uh, I think, around eleven or twelve million dollars. Michigan, uh, somewhere. Between twenty-five and thirty million dollars shortfall, uh, so you got to make you got to make that up somewhere. Uh, you, you've got to, especially universities that are or uh, athletic departments that are self-sustaining, like Purdue uh, in Indiana, where they don't take any money from the university and they don't take any money from the state, um, and that's how you know all the, basically the money that comes in through TV rights, ticket sales, donations, uh, and other areas kind of goes right back out uh, when you're looking at funding other sports. Uh, So this this is an important, football is the driving force in college athletics from a revenue standpoint. It funds every other program on the university campus from an athletic standpoint. Uh, It's necessary to have uh, so you can have all these opportunities. Uh, So that's why it's so important. For these administrators, it's not to me. It's not a greed thing. It's just more they're trying to stay in business and keep people employed, and keep these other sports and opportunities for athletes uh, going in the, in the right direction. But the virus isn't going away. Uh, it's going to be around. Uh, we have to learn to live with the virus, uh, and that means doing everything that the medical people say. And I think our country has as you can tell in the most part has ignored a lot of the rules and regulations that, that people should have been following. And now we're going to get in a situation where, um, things are going to probably ha- going to have to stop. And, you know, do you start the football season then have to stop it? Or can you even start the football season? So the, these tests that are coming out and you read about, you know, school a has, you know, five positive tests, uh, you know wait till students get back on campus and see how those numbers rise probably because all those people are going to be interacting uh, together but from Purdue's standpoint the one the one positive test uh, you know no need to you know create uh, create fear over that you know I think that you know based on what Purdue has said that that person is quarantined and'll go through all the, the the right protocols to Um to make sure that they get back and healthy and they'll have to be cleared and they'll have to pass uh, a test. They'll have to get a negative test out of the the COVID uh, before they can come back and be around um, other people in uh, whatever department they're, they're working in or whatever sport that they're, they're working in. So it's, it's going, you know, that's just one, but we're not through this yet. We've still got a long way to go. Uh, at least, at least from Purdue's standpoint of getting athletes back on campus and getting personnel, uh, back on campus. But the other questions that are going to come up and they've already been coming up from my end, uh, is just how are you going to test? How many times are you going to test athletes as you get ready or get closer to the season? And is it something that happens once a week, twice a week? Are you testing before games? Are you testing after games? Um, You know, there's a lot of questions there that need to be answered uh, as far as, you know, how this is all going to work. Um, And then you're probably just going to have players that do test positive just not be there. And you're going to have to figure it out on your own or we're going to have to figure it out, you know, why they're not there and who's not there um, because the school's not going to release that information. Uh, And, you know, practices are probably going to be closed uh, because there is a competitive element to this now. Uh, so, yeah, there's a lot of things going on um, from from that standpoint. But, you know, I think uh, at least from Purdue's just one right now. And uh, we'll see what happens over the next couple of weeks as uh, more students get back to uh, campus and get back to the starting their other uh, voluntary workouts. Now, I think it was the last podcast or the, the time before that, I said, keep an eye on the Indy 500 because that could set a bar as far as what the state and local governments might allow from an attendance standpoint as you get into college football season. Well, uh, the Indy 500 announced today that they plan on running the race in August at 50% capacity, which is when you factor in the actual seats at the motor speedway and the suites and everything else in the infield, um, I, I, I things I read today, it's, it's that would be about 175,000. Uh, people that they would allow into the speedway to watch this year's uh, 500 well if you're going to allow 175,000 people at the motor speedway granted they can spread out they can social distance they can you know it doesn't look you know you're not all close together in that facility as opposed to putting 50,000 in Ross rossage stadium where everybody has to be close together uh, so it would look different, but I also think 50% is probably the model that we're going to see at least, at least we're going to see at the start. And unless we have more of a wave here that is going to come through uh, where it would make Purdue adjust uh, its seating capacity a little bit. Right now, that baseline is 25%. I think that's the working model, but I do think they want to get to 50%. And I think that the 500 going to 50% kind of allows them to do that, it allows Indiana to do that, it allows Notre Dame to do that. It allows other, other places uh, to do that. You know, the Kentucky Derby is going to run its race or have its two days, the Kentucky Oaks and the Kentucky Derby, in early September. They're going to have fans. They haven't said exactly what the capacity will be, but they're not going to have 170,000 people there. So you cut that in half. That's what about um, you know seventy to eighty thousand. Then you probably trim that back even more, uh, where you'll probably you know you might have fifty thousand there for the for that kind of race. But if you're going to allow those kind of crowds uh, for those events, and they are, those are one time events, and I get that they happen once a year, uh, and, and horse racing is not allowed spectators at any of its tracks, uh, since the COVID came out. Uh, but I, you know, I think it bodes well for, for Purdue and Ross age stadium, that if the 500 can go 50% capacity, I think you're probably going to see Purdue and other schools in the state, uh, move closer to that number as opposed to the 25%. But all that can change. You know, we see, we've seen what happened, has happened in Florida and Arizona with, the increased testing and the increase in positive results. So any kind of spike like that can change, can change everything. And that's what, that's what everybody says. And that's what you kind of have to go on. You have to go on what the information you have today, but as you get closer to the start of football season, uh, you know, they're going to zero in on that number. And I know Purdue wants to get closer to 50%. And I think as long as things stay the way they are right now, um i think they'll be able uh, to get there and that allows more people to get in the games to see the games if they want to and this is this has to be a personal choice you just you know you have to understand your own health situation that if you want to go out and get involved in that and my fear is that you know i think everybody's going to be well intended when they go to a game to keep their distance and wear their mask and you know stand in line six feet apart and you know, be patient and wait for people. You know, from the, from the restroom standpoint to concession stand standpoint. You know, I think I think people will do that initially, but the more games you you go to, you kind of relax and you figure out what you can do and what you're allowed to do. You know, I don't know how much policing is going to go on, uh, making sure people are six feet apart. I think initially it will be there, but you know, as time goes on, um, rules get relaxed. Um, and then, th- then then things happen. Uh, so, I mean, it, it's going to be up to the fans. Not every fan that has a season ticket is going to feel comfortable about going to a game. That's the bottom line. Uh, so people have to feel comfortable about going to a game, sitting in an outdoor venue uh, for three hours or so. Uh, you know, I, w- I would assume tailgating will be limited. I think they'll have it, but it'll probably be limited to some degree. Uh, and, oh, Lord, don't even... Don't even talk about basketball because that's an indoor environment. People are closer together. Um, unless you have a vaccine by basketball season, I think that's going to be a tough one, uh, right there. But yeah, I would I would guess Purdue's probably moving closer to uh, to fifty percent capacity for Ross A just based on you know what's happening, what's going to happen with the five hundred as of right now. There's no guarantee the five hundred you know is going to get run because again things can change and, and quickly. Uh, as we've seen across uh, the country, also wanted to touch on the passing of uh, Morgan Burke, uh, Purdue's athletic director. You know, the longest tenured athletic director uh, in the history of uh, uh, Purdue athletics passed away uh, a few weeks ago, uh, suddenly. Um, you know, he's it's a mixed legacy, uh, to be honest. Uh, a lot of good things uh, Morgan did. Uh, when, when he got here, he, he came from the business world. He was one of the f- first, I don't think he was the first, but I think he was one of the first waves of business people stepping into the role of athletic director. Those of you old enough kind of remember the way you became an athletic director at the high school level as well was you, you coached. And then if you had an interest in being an athletic director, you, were, you became the athletic director. And that's kind of how people work their way into that position. Um, but Morgan came from, you know, the business world. And there were other ADs at the time that had done that. It, it gave a new perspective to, to how athletic departments needed to be run. You know, he stepped into a situation at Purdue, which has always been and will continue to be kind of fiscally conservative. They've, they've never – They've never wanted to go out and outspend people when it comes to athletics and other things. Um, And that's kind of been the directive of the presidents and the board and the board of trustees uh, throughout their history. Um, You know, yes, they want their teams to be competitive, but didn't want to overdo it basically. And that still kind of stands today to some degree. Uh, But they have, there's been a change there over the years from the board and and Mitch Daniels, as far as what Purdue needed to be competitive, and that part has changed. But when Morgan was the A.D., um, that was pretty much the mantra. You know, Morgan needed to upgrade uh, the swimming facility. He needed to upgrade the golf courses. He needed—they needed a tennis facility. Uh, they needed some other things done from a from a brick and mortar standpoint uh, to Ross-Ade Stadium and the Mackey Arena, and just to upgrade uh were, were they I mean back in the early 90s uh, when Morgan took over the athletic department uh, the Purdue's facilities for the most part were woeful, woeful I mean they were just not they were not any good and he didn't have the amenities um, that student athletes were looking for in the recruiting process uh, and Purdue was always behind now you know was that a directive from the president and the board at the time that Purdue did not want to jump into that, or was that Morgan's decision that they were going to play it safe and not really spend a lot of money? I think if, if, if you followed uh, Purdue's athletic history during Morgan, he, he he didn't seem willing to jump into the, the financial market when it come to paying coaches. Um, that Purdue has always kind of lagged behind uh, in that area, thinking that you can get more, uh, you know, still recruit and try to bring in the most talented people you can, but, you know, we're not going to pay you what other schools can pay. And I, I know that rubbed some coaches and other people the wrong way. That Purdue didn't seem to be – didn't want to invest – um, did want to invest in people as much as they wanted to invest, maybe in some other things. But through time, Morgan got the facilities back into a position where Purdue could be competitive. I mean, if you look I mean, he's responsible for what Mackey Arena uh, looks like now. He's responsible for what Rossade Stadium, for the most part, looks like now. The golf courses are world-renowned. Uh, with the help of Pete Dye, uh, the new baseball facility, the new softball facility, the new soccer facility, uh, the new tennis facility, the the swimming facility which bears his name, all those things were done under his watch, and they were needed. And it's allowed them to host NCAA competitions. It's allowed them to bring in a higher caliber of athlete, uh, when, especially when you look at the the diving success that Purdue has had, and then. You can go, go through the golf success that they've had. They've, they've had uh, upgrade those facilities help Purdue attract the higher level uh, of, of athlete that could come here uh, and, and compete. So I mean, he, did, he did a lot of good things, and, you know, I think those are the things that people are going to remember. He was a fan. I mean, he, he was truly a fan of Purdue. He, he loved Purdue. He was a graduate of Purdue. Uh, he loved Purdue. Uh, his fandom probably at times got in the way uh, of things that he that he should have done or maybe he shouldn't have done. Uh, but he was a true fan. and you know the if if you've you know followed his the stories after his death, uh, the one thing that always comes to mind was that he knew the student athletes. He knew their names, he knew where they were from, he knew their majors. And he was always willing to converse with them and talk to them and learn more about them, uh, and that was a that was a pride point for him. And he, he took that to another level, and I think that's what as in that that what that's what endeared him to the athletes that came through the program during during his tenure. And you know that's something that when you're that young and you're looking for. Uh, whether it be a pat on the back or, or, or whatever, just some encouragement, that's something that those athletes uh, truly hung on to uh, throughout their careers at Purdue and uh, continue to hang on to that uh, now that they're on with their, their lives and raising families and, and working in the world. Uh, that's something that can't be replaced. And, you know, Morgan made that a priority for himself. Uh, and, I, you know, I think he, that paid dividends for him uh, just from a personal standpoint, uh, throughout his career as the ad but also you know when he when he uh, re- when he retired from being the athletic director uh, a few years ago. I think that's you know that was something that um, was profound that he did. and that's something that you know came to my mind when I when I heard of his passing uh, a few weeks ago. but uh, strong legacy, uh, what he did, you know, I think Michael Vincy has come in and built off that. A little bit. Michael Minsky's done some different things uh, than Morgan did, but also think Michael Minsky had as the support. Not that Morgan didn't, but he has more of a support from the board of trustees uh, and the president um, as far as being able to pay coaches more. Um, you know, and, and with Morgan, the whole thing with Matt Painter uh, flirting with Missouri. You know, back in the day, I think that was a turning point uh, for Morgan, realizing that you do have to invest more in people, not just the head coach. And assistant coaches are in a vital, vital part of the program, and they need, uh, you know, they need some of the bells and whistles that you need to recruit athletes. And um, you know, I think that was a turning point for Morgan, realizing you know, these are some things that uh, have to be done. And he, he slowly came around and did that, and he invested more in the football program. You know when they made the change from Danny Hope to Daryl Hazel, you know Purdue all of a sudden was paying a coach two million dollars. Now, you can all, we can all question the decision to hire Daryl Hazel, but Purdue had stepped up at that point uh, to get um, to, to pay more money, and that was with the blessing of the board. But Mike Bobinski has benefited from that, and so has Jeff Braum, so has Matt Painter, so have, have a lot of a lot of coaches have have, have benefited from Morgan's presence. Uh, Here at Purdue. So I just want to say a few things about Morgan. You know, we I I thought we had a good relationship You know, he he came from the business world where transparency was never (laughs) at the top of the list and to a public position as, as as Athletic director where you have to you know, you are the face of the athletic department and Your words mean a lot. It's your way to talk to the fan base at least at that time when he first started you know, was through the media. and you know we had some rough patches and rough goes of it. Uh, but I you know that part of the process, I think he came around on, finally understanding uh, our role uh, and understanding his role and how he how he could communicate uh, with his fan, you know the best way possible to, to communicate with his fan base. and that um, and there were some you know there were some interesting moments <laughs> with that i'll just I'll just leave it. Leave it at that. Uh, you know, coming up, uh, you know, as I said, you got volleyball and women's soccer coming back. So we'll see if there's any more positive uh, cases uh, with, uh, with, uh, with athletes and coaches uh, coming back and monitoring that. And you still don't know exactly what fall athletic – you know, I read a story today uh, out of uh, Omaha, Nebraska that said that the volleyball season – um, you know, don't you know? It's going to be a different kind of schedule for the Big Ten. That there'll be more, maybe more conference matches, more closer conference matches. You may not play everybody, you know, like you did in the past. Um, you know, I think they're trying to restrict travel on airplanes as much as possible. Uh, where you would bus the games and Purdue's in a good location to do that because you can get to uh, to most of the conference on a bus. Uh, now, I was you know, a good five, five-and-a-half-hour drive on a bus. You know, Minnesota would be tough on a bus, but you can get to Wisconsin and Illinois and Northwestern and Indiana, both Michigan schools, Ohio State. So there's a lot of a lot of benefits for Purdue being in the position it is right now, at least to to maybe save some money from a, from a travel standpoint. So I'm curious to see what schedules look like as we get a little bit deeper into the summer. And I'm not completely sold that the football schedule you see today will be the football schedule that is actually played. Uh, You know, I think there might be some adjustments to that. So I, you know, I think there's still a lot of, uh, questions that, that need to be answered as far as what college athletics is going to look like in the fall. Um, and then even basketball season, which again, I think that's that's a whole different, uh, topic and discussion because I think we have to see what happens in football season to see what could possibly uh, happen uh, throughout uh, basketball season. Well, we appreciate you stopping by uh, today. Again, comments, questions, concerns. You want to yell at me. Email address uh, is on every story on jconline.com. You can hit me up on Twitter at Carmen underscore JC. Or just drop a note off here at the paper, I guess, if you want to. Anyway, thanks for checking in. And uh, have a good day. Have a good summer. And uh, we'll do this again uh, real soon.